This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. What you have coming out of your speakers and into your ears right now is the 209th episode of the podcast. If it's your first episode, you need to go back to episode one so you're not lost when we get into the thick of the story. That's not true. We don't do that here. I talk for 20 to 25 minutes about the quarry and culture of fly fishing. So it's fly fishing and fly fishing adjacent stuff. And uh, you can drop in and learn what you want to learn. And actually, I, I suggest that you do that. You you hear something, you trigger something in your head, and you go and you read something else or listen to another podcast or, uh, or go out and actually go fishing. Like, that's the point. That's the purpose. That's why I do this. That's why I've been doing casting across for over seven years now. I love it the, when, when I hear about folks who just got a little seed or a sapling from what I have brought forward. Forward, and then they take it and they uh, they plant it and something awesome grows in their garden. So that is what I'm in the business of doing and what I have been in the business of doing with Casting Across. Um, next week is my 210th episode, if my math serves me correctly. Uh, and what that means is that I will be interacting with listener and reader feedback. So comments I get on the website and social media, uh, social media uh, messages, as well as uh, emails. So Matthew at castingacross.com. If there's something I said that you want clarification on, if there's something I've said that has led you down some sort of fly fishing adventure, let me know. If there's something I said that you think is totally off base, I'd also like to hear that. I've got a couple of great emails I've gotten over the last few months that I'll inevitably interact with sometime, if not this next week. But if your email is like out of the park, fantastic, then it might rise to the top. But regardless of if I talk about what you say or not, I will get back to you. I endeavor to do that to everybody who reaches out to me, and I do always appreciate that. It's one of my favorite parts of casting across. 
One of my not so favorite parts about casting across is uh, the optimization of getting the, the the podcast and the website in front of people. That's just not what I like spending time on doing. And I get countless spam emails every day about that. And every website that has to do with uh, websites, uh, there's there's ads and banners and things to click on so that you can get your stuff in front of more people. That's just not what I want to do. I don't want to spend time on it. I certainly don't want to spend money on it. All I want to do is write and talk about fly fishing and share it with you. And inevitably, what happens is you share it with somebody else. And that's that's how the word gets out about the podcast, about casting across, but more importantly about fly fishing stuff. Uh, and so what that means is like today's podcast title is kind of lame, uh, tributary time. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, I don't even know if you Google Great Lakes tributary fishing, if it's going to pop up anytime soon. But uh, that's why there's not a lot of flair in the titles. There's not a lot of time for it. But if you think it's helpful, then share it. That's that's how I would prefer this thing to grow and continue to uh, perpetuate itself. It's it's an organic thing. But that thing, the particular thing, what we're talking about today is fishing in the Great Lakes tributaries. Fishing in the Great Lakes tributaries. So what are the Great Lakes? I've, I've, I've learned that you can't go too simple, all right? The Great Lakes, Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie, and Ontario. Is there a mnemonic device for knowing those things? I'm sure there is, but I can't think about that now because then I will be distracted. So Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, Lake Erie, and Lake Ontario. Where do you find these lakes? I mean, they're so great, right? Well, you find them bordering uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Minnesota. Did I leave anybody out? I don't think so. I guess Canada. I don't want to leave. Oh, Wisconsin and uh, Illinois and Canada. So if you live in that area, then you are up against a Great Lake. But here's why this is so important. So you, you look at a map in the United States, you zoom out, you see the Great Lakes are quite great, but they're really only touching a tiny little portion of the United States and Canada. Uh, and, and again, this is more United States focused because that's my area of expertise is living here my whole life, right? Um, most of the population centers have day and or day and a half access to the Great Lakes. You can get to, let's just pick a spot like the Ohio, Pennsylvania, like between Cleveland and Erie. You can get to that in a day and a half if you live in New England, in the Mid-Atlantic, and the Midwest. You can get there in a day and a half. And it truly is a huge fishery worth driving that far. And today we're just talking about the tributaries. And what is a tributary? A tributary is a body of water specifically moving water that flows into another body of water. And in this example, we're talking about rivers and streams that flow into these Great Lakes. And the Great Lakes, in natural ways, but also through canals, they flow into each other and they flow into other bodies of water. But we're not going to get too uh, technical, complicated, or talking about maps on a podcast because that's absolutely no fun. But as you go around the Great Lakes, and I'll be honest with you, my most significant experience is with Lake Erie and then with Lake Michigan and the other ones. It's just been very marginal here and there. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Lake here on a Lake Superior, to be honest with you. Uh, but as you go around these lakes, there are rivers and streams that flow into them. And this is fantastic because this creates a diverse ecosystem. This creates a healthy ecosystem. This creates opportunities for there to be different habitats that abut one another and create opportunities for organisms, particularly aquatic organisms, to move back and forth. So what you have is perhaps a place where a fish can live its life, most of its life, but then someplace a little bit calmer with the right kind of substrate where it can swim up and it can lay its eggs and rear its young. 
fish don't really rear their young, but you know what I mean. And so in the Great Lakes, we have these all over the place. The entirety of the shorelines are lined with rivers. Uh, again, I pick some place like uh, like Pennsylvania, which only has something like 25 miles of shoreline. Um, and there are probably that many rivers that flow into uh, Lake Erie from Pennsylvania. And of course, they go into New York and Ohio because they're right up against it. And all of these rivers are not all these rivers, but the majority of these rivers have value in the fall and in the wintertime and even in the late spring, because what we have in the Great Lakes in these fisheries is fish that live in the lake and then they swim up into the rivers to spawn or at least go through the motions of spawning. And for our intents and purposes today, those fish are salmonids. They are salmon, they are brown trout, and they are steelhead. I made a, a physical asterisk there, and I'll come back to that here in a minute. This is what people go fishing in the Great Lakes for, catching these enormous fish that have been spending the majority of the year swimming in the deep, kind of kind of difficult waters of, of one of the Great Lakes, only to move up into a small stream, a stream that usually is, is holding, you know, 12 to 14 inch trout, maybe some smallmouth bass, uh, maybe carp and suckers. But now for a few months out of the year, these two to three foot long fish, hard fighting fish that have spending been spending their time fighting the currents and the and the uh, the just the, the wide open water of the lakes are now in these small rivers and you can tangle with them with your six weight or with your eight weight. And it's a whole lot of fun. But that means there's going to be a lot of people there also. And Honestly, I think the first step, and I'm, I'll repeat this later in the podcast, the first step and the best step that you can take to fishing these waters is to get out there. I don't know how many times I've heard, you should have been here yesterday. Now, we hear that in hunting. We hear that in fishing. We hear that in probably bird watching, whatever it is, that, oh, yesterday was so great. And I've heard it a lot when it comes to fishing the Great Lakes tributaries. But I think what that indicates is that it is hot and cold. There are a number of features that you have to pay attention to. Um, the fish are going to move as the weather changes, but particularly as the water temperatures change. So my favorite time to fish is the day after a big rainstorm. A lot of new water is flushed into that that um, stream and out into the the tributary, out of the tributary mouth and into the lakes. And if these fish are running up and down the coastline of the of those lakes, they get that that influence of fresh water, uh, of of warmer water coming in through those tributaries, and they move up that. Um, there's other reasons and other are you know ideas of why these fish do that, especially some of these fish that aren't actually spawning but going through the spawning motions but that is when a triggering moment where you can say okay this is the day to be there but that's a rule that also has its exceptions and so i like being on the water the day before it rains the day it rains and the day after it rains and i've had days that have been great where it is raining days where it hasn't rained in weeks and then the the kind of day that you expect to have have a, a good day on the tributaries a couple days after a heavy rain well, kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Um, what are you fishing for? Why are these things, you know, these these tributaries worth paying attention to? And it's for three main reasons: salmon, steelhead, and brown trout. 
salmon, steelhead, and brown trout. Are there other fish you can catch? Absolutely. There's lots of other great fishing. I mean, fishing in the lakes themselves is worth countless podcasts, but we're talking about a very narrow margin of, of a very large uh, ecosystem. It's these tributaries, particularly fall, winter, early spring. So there's salmon in the, the the Great Lakes. Now, there were Atlantic salmon that were native to Lake Ontario, but because of overfishing and other uh, human influences, they were extirpated, which is to say that they aren't extinct, but they are not present in Lake Ontario, at least not in any significant number. But over the course of history, Chinooks, Cohos, and Pinks, and I want to say there's another species that's that's in there, but these species have been introduced. And it was interesting that one of the reasons why they were introduced was not necessarily primarily for sport fishing, although it's really hard to kind of, uh, uh, you know, d- divorce aspects of, of fisheries management, but it was for conservation as some of these fish species were, were being damaged and their populations were dwindling. They were put in the Great Lakes for not just sport fishing, but also for population uh, to maintain those populations. But the other kind of relative of salmon is the steelhead. And the steelhead were first put in the Great Lakes in Erie and Ontario, Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, in 1870s. They were put there in the 1870s. And they were brought over from Washington. And there was eggs that were transplanted from steelhead, true uh, steelhead-like the steelhead that we all, you know, dream and and spaycast about, um, as well as eggs of rainbow trout, and the steelhead took, and it might be because of their ability to be out in open water as is a little they're a little bit more hardy for that, but they took and they've become kind of the premier tributary species. Um, brown trout are another species that people catch, and you can catch them in pretty much everywhere because they have, like they have in streams and rivers in the United States, they've taken very well to the Great Lakes. But they were introduced in the 1880s in Michigan uh, because they were put in the Paramoquette River. And so they go to the river and then they say, this is nice, but I get more forage if I move down certain times of the year into Lake Michigan. And so that is where the brown trout were first introduced. But what you notice about all three of these species uh, uh, you know, and again, there's, there's a great variation within salmon. So maybe I'll just talk about steelhead and brown trout uh, for a moment. Uh, steelhead and brown trout, they have the capacity to get big, really big. Uh, you, you look at some of the brown trout that are caught in Iceland and some of these large glacial lakes. Uh, the same thing is true as Scotland. The same thing is true in continental Europe. Um, and where they get big because they have a lot of forage sources, a lot of bait fish that they can feed off of in these big, deep waters where they are, they become the apex predator very quickly. And the same thing is true in the Great Lakes. The brown trout have that opportunity. The same thing is true of steelhead. They live in a, a uh, habitat out on the West Coast where it is the ocean. So the carrying capacity is basically limitless and they can feed and get as big as they want. And so these fish do the same thing in the Great Lakes. They move around, they feed on abundant bait fish sources, and then they have opportunities to move up into the tributaries to spawn. And so they are, again, the kind of the, the premier gold star blue ribbon uh, fish that you're looking for in the tributaries in the fall, winter, spring. I've never seen someone get excited about catching like a, you know, eight inch brook trout in uh, uh, Lake Erie tributary in uh, November. I'd be a little bit happy about it, especially if it was on the swing and kind of wild, but uh, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at browns and we're looking at steelhead. And then also we're looking at 
salmon. So the very first thing that I want to reinforce, I've already said, is get on the water. Um, get on the water and drift flies. There is a lot of benefit of just continually putting flies through likely spots. There is a lot of sight fishing that can take place, but getting in the water and just drifting your fly in likely spots is the most important thing. That is how you prospect for fish. That's how you spook up fish. And if you spook up one steelhead, there's a good chance that there's other ones nearby. If you spook up one trout, then you know there's other trout nearby. Uh, I love sight fishing for these fish. But if you spend all of your time with your eyes and no time with your fly in the water, you are not going to catch anything. And I've I've, I've done that before. I've spent entire days uh, really just, just looking for the perfect hole, looking for four or five fish that don't look spooked. And that's not the way to do it. You've got to cast your fly. Um, the second thing I would say is to be the first one. Uh, these fish are harassed. Uh, you've heard of combat fishing, and there's certainly places um, in every one of the Great Lakes. And I don't want to name names, but I mean, it, there's there's you know there's one in every family, right? But there are places that are just known for ridiculous people with ridiculous behavior and ridiculous gear. And added to that, you have some states that allow for snagging, which is just, it blows my mind. Like I'm not against catching fish to eat, but these fish in that situation with the amount of people around, it's just asking for trouble, right? Uh, so if you can avoid those crowds and also be the first person on the stream, then you have an opportunity to touch fish that have maybe moved past where that nonsense happens, which for a lot of these rivers, it's where their easy access is. These fish may have moved up through there when the weather was really bad or in the middle of the night or something like that. And if you have first crack at some fresh fish or fish that haven't been harassed in a few days, that is going to be your best opportunity. So get in the water, get your fly in the water. Don't wait for the perfect situation. Uh, just, just start fishing and then uh, try to be there early. Uh, this, of course, is all established on that very first precedent that I said of being there, you know, being there. That's got to get there. Get there, fish, and uh, try to be the, the first one there. Those are the three first things that I would say. This next one might be a little controversial, and somebody could certainly disagree with me. If I've done all of those things, and I'm not catching fish, and if I'm seeing fish, and I'm not catching fish, and I've changed my flies a few times, instead of changing my fly kind of incessantly and fishing over the same fish until I just make it so angry that it bites my egg fly or, you know, my, uh, my, my woolly bugger or my nymph or whatever it might be, then I am apt to switch streams. I have had plenty of days where I have seen lots of fish in Creek A and they have refused everything I've thrown at them. And I've driven over to Creek B out of frustration and I catch two fish right off the bat and I catch a couple other fish over the course of the day. Now, is that perception? It might be, but it's also a way to kind of have a fresh start in your head. Now you do this and you run the risk of not being the first one there, but these are the, this is, you know, the, the, the risk you run when you move spots. Uh, another thing that I know I'm just throwing random tips out there, but this is, I think a, a just important general tips, um, bright and gaudy works, but so does normal and boring. I've caught as many steelhead on prince nymphs and hare's ear nymphs as I have on crystal meths and egg flies and nasty looking chenille and sparkly things. Uh, those flies seem like they would work the best, but uh, I have caught as many fish in really subtle 
patterns, tungsten, beadhead, flies. And I think one of the reasons for that is that those patterns, what, what differentiates the pheasant head tails and the hare's ear uh, from the, the, the big egg flies and the, 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 the buggy, fluffy looking uh, um, kind of traditional salmon, not traditional salmon flies by a long shot, but traditional Great Lakes salmon and steelhead flies, it is how quickly those, uh, tr those traditional nymphs get down in the water column and also how they are subtle. Uh, they land in the water with a, a soundless plop, and they cut down into the current very, very quickly, and they get down to where the fish are. You're not having to do a lot of mending. You're not having to do things with a big gaudy fly that may be very appetizing to that fish on first pass, but as it's been drug across their face more than once, that's what's going to turn them off, and they're just going to say, I don't want to get snagged again. I don't want to uh, get, get uh, hooked again, or I saw what happened to Bob yesterday, and I don't want that to happen to me. So that would be uh, another kind of general tip is to don't shy away from using your trout flies. Use bigger ones. Use buggier ones. That's fine. But I think having something that's streamlined is really helpful. And I, I would say if you tie or you buy your flies, using those patterns with a hot spot is a, a great option and a great way for you to keep an eye on those flies uh, so that you are able to detect strikes uh, because the fly has been taken or you're able to even just sight it and make sure you know where it is in the water column. Now, another gear-related uh, thing that I think is worth passing on is tie on tippet, cut back your tippet, adjust your tippet. Don't let that be a limiting factor for you. Um, get a good spool of strong tippet like uh, fluorocarbon and just plan to burn through it over the course of a weekend. Um, do not mess with a bad tippet length because it's more convenient. It is definitely not convenient to make 10 bad casts as opposed to stop and tie on new tippet. It's also, when you're fighting these huge fish, it's not worth saying you have a shoddy knot because you've been fishing with the same leader that you, you hand-tied all day. Uh, retie, retie, retie. Make the right adjustments. Check your knots. Make sure those knots are good. Check your hook points. All of those things really go into making sure that if you do only get maybe one or two shots at hooking and landing a fish that day that you don't end up frustrated because you snapped it because you've been you know dragging that hook across the bottom and you've been getting hung up in trees and you bend your hook and then it snaps in this giant fish or your your frayed leader from running up against you know debris and things like that finally gives way so this was a, a podcast that was all over the place. But like I said, my desire is that you take some of these things and you go and investigate more. There's articles on castingcross.com about steelheading. And I think in some of them, there are some great uh, uh, resources for, for you to find out more. Oh, that reminds me. Why did I asterisk steelheading? Uh, these are steelhead. Genetically, they are steelhead. They are not fish that were living in the Pacific Ocean this summertime. So in that sense, they are different from those steelhead. But these Great Lakes run rainbows are genetically steelhead. So I'm not going to say that I have the same clout as somebody who catches a steelhead out in Oregon or Washington or British Columbia. It's absolutely not the same thing. But they're steelhead. Just like uh, you know, catching a, a brook trout up in the mountains is not the same as, as catching a brook trout in, in some of the spring creeks that are very sneaky that I know where they are in, in, uh, in the East Coast. They're two totally different things. Same fish, but two very different things in two very different situations. So learn about the Great Lakes. Fascinating stuff. I mean, 
everything from the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald to the dunes in Indiana to uh, there's all sorts of amazing things. Niagara Falls, uh, there's and there's big brown trout. I mean, why wouldn't you want to know more about and spend more time on the Great Lakes? So get out there, get fishing, make sure that you're there early. Don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to use traditional nymphs and don't be afraid to tie on new tippet. Don't be afraid of tributary time. This week on castingacross.com. A couple of articles, and the first one was called, What is Worse Than Losing a Fish? What is Worse Than Losing a Fish? And uh, I had shot two birds that I could not retrieve uh, like last week. And so I was thinking about how I hated that way more than probably any fish that I've lost because there's this added component of suffering and death that comes with it. And that's part of the blood sports that are hunting and fishing. And even if you are an ardent catch and release angler, you're killing fish, whether you know it or not. So this is just a way to think about it and kind of a, a reality check for me and, and maybe for you too about what we engage when we go outside. And then Wednesday's article is called A Clean Fly Rod is a Happy Fly Rod. A clean fly rod is a happy fly rod. And I absolutely love talking about gear and maintaining it well. I cannot get my head around people who go through fly rods like a couple a season or even one a season or uh, one that only lasts a few years. Now, you may be fishing a whole lot more than me, but I believe that because I take care of my gear, it lasts me a long time, even though I use it rough and I use it hard and it kind of gets scratched up and things like that. But keeping things clean is the first best step. And if you are on a budget or you are a weekend warrior, there's no reason why a inexpensive fly rod won't last you your whole lifetime as long as you take care of it. Of course, there's car doors and there's ceiling fans and there's that, you know, enormous steelhead you're going to hook into uh, using your four weight because you didn't listen to an earlier podcast where I talked about gear selection. I think it was called a Lake Erie Steelhead Primer. I think it was episode 49. I should have mentioned that earlier in case people tuned out. But now if you, you that's your treat if you stuck around to this point. But a clean rod, fly rod is a happy fly rod. Uh, it will not break unless you hook into a giant steelhead with a four weight. This week's recommendation actually is for another website. It is fisherie.com. Fisherie.com. Uh, I'm sure there are other great websites for Pennsylvania, and I'm sure that there are equally good websites in the other states that I mentioned before. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio, and New York. I don't think I missed anybody. Michigan, right? Those, and Canada for that. For for that, I, I don't ask me which provinces are bordering the Great Lakes. Um, but fisherie.com for the Erie Tribs, particularly in Pennsylvania, and then in Ohio, New York, immediately adjacent to them. It is a spectacular resource. Everything from uh, fishing reports to the maps. The maps are just indispensable. Um, fly patterns, uh, shops, you know, conservation information. It is an excellent website. So I will put a link to fisherie.com. You go to fisherie.com uh, on the show notes for this podcast page at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.